now and then, here and there, and always at sexpotcomedy.com. Hey, this is Robert Rutherford. We have something to celebrate today. This is our 100th podcast episode. And so rather than uh, talk to you about the usual and give you all the housekeeping about our upcoming shows, you can find that information. What we're going to do for the next two episodes is something special. The four hosts of the narrators, both in Denver and San Diego, are going to provide you with sort of a best of of the last 100 episodes of the narrators. We're going to be um, showcasing some stories that haven't been published before on our podcast and some oldies. And we're going to have each of the four hosts sort of give a little bit of introduction as to why they've selected the story that they've selected. Should be fun. Today, we are going to start off with our Denver co-hosts, Ron Doyle and Aaron Rollman, sharing a couple of their favorite stories from the narrator's Thank you so much for continuing to listen to our podcast and coming to the live show. Uh, we hope to uh, have many, many more to come. Next storyteller. All right, next storyteller. Next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. Hi, this is Aaron Rollman, co-host of Narrators Denver. So um, I'm supposed to talk about my uh, one of my favorite stories, but I have this real problem, which is that I love so, so many stories, which I think we all do. Um, and in particular, there was a, a whole night of stories that was so spectacular that I I honestly think about it constantly. Um, and the, the theme was uh, Crushed. And uh, we had an amazing group of people on. And I've actually been stopped in the grocery store uh, by someone who came up to me. And uh, she was like, hey, you, you do the narrators. And I was like, yeah. And she goes, I, I was there that night. Like, that's what someone said. Like, because we all knew, all of the people in the room knew that something special was happening. Um, above and beyond the special thing that happens every time, which it always is special. But it was just such an amazing evening filled with these great laughs from so many incredible comedians. I mean, I can't even name them all. Uh, uh, Timmy and Haley and Janae and uh, Sam and uh, Dan. And it was just like an an incredible uh, evening. Uh, Christy, now I'm going to forget some people and then I'll have messed up because I didn't name everybody. But it really was just this this evening full of amazing laughs and then just heartbreaking truths. I mean, I was sobbing sometimes when I came back up onto the stage to introduce the next person. Timmy Lastly tells this amazing story about her mother. And then we continue on with the show and she leaves the premises, calls her mother and then gives me an update that I can give the audience. So I think it's probably the first time that we had a live update on a story that had been told earlier in that evening, which is, was pretty incredible and special. Um, so that was just an incredible night that I, that I wanted to talk about. Okay. Up next, uh, this next comedian, comedian, I can say all the words, is the host of Epilogue Comedy, which happens on the last Saturday of every month at uh, Mutiny Information Cafe. I think at 10 if I'm not incorrect. 
And it's also hosting uh, the Moth uh, Story Slam on August 28th. Please welcome to the stage, Timmy Lastly, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Uh, normally I write out my narrators very thoughtfully and type it out in 14-point font and double-space it. And uh, I'm, I'm just doing notes tonight, so we'll see how this goes. Thank you. Thank you for that supportive woo. Um, this piece is titled, That Time in Third Grade When I Crushed My Mother's Spirit. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> my mother's never been a beautiful woman. When she was two years old, she was caught in a house fire uh, and so she's got scar tissue on her forearms and on her chin. And as a result, I, th that's how she grew up. And as a result, I feel like she never really thought that she was beautiful. Uh, even more than that, like she knew she wasn't beautiful with that, that hateful knowledge that we, we turn on ourselves when we're me being mean to us. That little voice that we've all got and we just believe it. She believed that voice and... And she grew up thinking she wasn't beautiful. As a result, she kind of let herself go. And I don't mean like the, the had four kids in six and a half years, got a little extra weight on her, kind of let herself go. I mean, had all of her teeth needed to be removed before she was out of her 30s, let herself go. She just didn't care, you know? And, and it's even more than that. When she, when she lost the bottom half of her dentures, she just never bothered to replace them, kind of let herself go. And this is the wonderful thing about my mother. Somehow when you meet her, when you talk to her, you don't even notice that she has no teeth in her mouth. Like, the look works for her. She's working it. Like, I call it, I like to think of it as hillbilly nouveau. I am three generations away from people who fished and hunted in the winter and lived off the land and the government didn't know that they existed in the San Juan Mountains of, of southern Colorado. Like that's, I'm three generations away from that. And I feel somewhere like it, at her roots, my mother adores that fact about herself and she just takes it and runs with it. She knows she's going to be toothless and, and shoeless on a front porch someday and I love it. She is fucking precious. Not only that, but like she is, she is the most kind, generous, wonderful human being. She's thoughtful. She's caring. She talks to strangers. She is just a lot of fun to be around, just this bubbly, wonderful spirit. And even though she's never been a person who was beautiful, she taught me everything I know about being a beautiful person. Now back to how I crushed this wonderful woman's spirit. <laughs> so I was in third grade, and my mother uh, made it a point to be very involved in our school lives. She volunteered at my school. Um, like three days a week in the afternoon, she'd show up. And, and the funny thing about this wonderful, caring uh, personality, it comes with it, this kind of like boisterous, in-your-face friendliness, this over-the-top jokingness. Like, like she's told my uh, secrets to strangers on the street before. She just says too much. She's out there too much. She's a little too friendly. She embarrassed the fuck out of me. I was so embarrassed by my mother. 
And, and so one day she mentioned something about stopping by the school the next day, and I kind of made a face or something about it, probably a noise. I don't know. I'm in third grade. What do you, eight at that point? You're just like, duh. Um, and, uh, and my mother saw it, and she was like, Timmy, I get the feeling that you're embarrassed of me. And I said, well, yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if, to quote Haley, is this a safe space? Um, I... Like, yes, mother, I am a little bit embarrassed of you. And she just gets this look on her face. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to explain. I'm going to have to explain to her why I find her embarrassing. She gets this terrible look on her face. And she says, it's because of my scars, isn't it? And in my eight-year-old brain... Did the calculations real quick. Said yes. In my defense, I thought that was like the better reaction than uh, being like, no, 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 I don't give a shit about the way you look. It's really more just your personality, your entire way of being, just who you are in this world and how you interact with everyone else. That's what's embarrassing. And so instead of saying that and correcting her, I just took the information that she provided and agreed with it. (laughs) And I crushed her more deeply than I think I've ever crushed anyone in my life. And I've said some unthoughtful things. I've said some real shitty person things to people before. I don't think I've ever crushed anybody the way that I crushed my mother that day. And I don't know, <laughs> I've never told her that that wasn't the case. That it, I never corrected that mistake. I don't know how, and I don't know what's wrong with me as a person, that it's easier for me to sit here and tell people that I don't know the whole embarrassing story as opposed to just telling my mother that I'm sorry and I didn't mean it. But I think I just don't want to ever see that look on her face again. Who knows? Maybe she's forgotten it by now. And, and bringing it up would, like, make her remember it. Um, so hopefully someday I'll, I'll tell my mother I'm sorry. But uh, I'm sorry, Mom. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Hey there, it's Ron Doyle from The Narrator's Denver. So most of our storytellers are comedians and actors, musicians, writers, you know, some sort of creative person. And and these folks are already highly regarded members of our community long before they ever set foot on our stage. And that's why we seek them out in the first place. Um, So these are the folks who make the show a consistent success. You know, I can always count on... So many people, I mean, Laura Bond and Janae Burris, Timmy Lasley, Christy Bukley, Adam Caton Holland, Jeff Campbell, Rue Johnson, Johnny Five, Ellen K. Graham, Kelly Shortenqueer, everybody at Bumport Theater, Dr. Kevin Fitzgerald, Chris Sharpentier, Carla Rodriguez, Kristen Rand, Greg Salveson, Jan Scott Frazier, Haley Driscoll, and uh, at least a dozen other amazingly talented regulars whose names I'm regretfully forgetting right now. I mean, they show up and they share their truth in a way that just makes me feel like I won the lottery just by being in their presence. 
I love these people. I love all of them. But the truth is, I'm never surprised when those folks tell a great story. I think it's the unknown storytellers, those first-time folks of whom I expect nothing. Those are the folks who get me the most. After almost four years of working with the show, I've lost count of the number of times we've had someone totally outside our usual social circles show up, tell an amazing story, and then just disappear again. For our 100th episode, I'd like to share a story from Emma Weisfeld. Emma's one of those folks I'm talking about. She's this mysterious, basically anonymous character who emerges every year or so to tell a story. When we ask for a bio, she never tells us much. She's from New York. She's a mom. And that's about it. As far as I know, she's not even on Facebook or other social media, so I seriously know very little about her. But when she's on our stage, it's like the audience is her oldest, closest friend, and she fearlessly shares these terrifying and hilarious truths about her life. I don't know if she's famous in any other circles, but on our show, she's a superstar. Now, if you haven't heard her other stories on our podcast, press pause right now and go listen to episodes 55 and 69, then come back because this story has never been featured on the podcast before. Emma's story was recorded live on December 16th, 2016 at Bumport Theater in Denver, Colorado. The theme of the evening was siblings. freaking out because my story also prominently features sperm which is just a really weird coincidence um anyways as you've probably already noticed i am i'm occupied territory at the moment but it's cool it's cool it's not the first time um another baby lived here a couple uh, here in my body, a couple of years ago, not in the theater, in my body, a couple of years ago, and actually what I wanted to talk to you guys about tonight is uh, one of the things that the two siblings already have in common is my husband's magical sperm. Uh, now, I'm not saying my husband has magical sperm in order to brag. Uh, his sperm never, like, gives me a foot massage. It just has a very particular and kind of spooky sense of timing. To explain, allow me to rewind about five years ago. I'm already married, but we're not really thinking of having kids uh, anytime soon because we're only 30, and that just feels like babies having babies. Uh, but then, out of nowhere, my dad is diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And I'm terrified that he will die, and I'm also horrified at the idea that he might be afraid of dying or feel unsatisfied with his life in any way, uh, and there's nothing I can do about it except that I knew my dad really wanted grandchildren. So I said to my husband, we need to get pregnant like as soon as possible. And his response was, that's crazy. Uh, you don't rush into having kids um, for other people, really whatever the circumstances are. And I think he, you know, he thought I wasn't making decisions in my right mind and he was 
absolutely correct about that. Um, but he still didn't pull out this one time very soon after this conversation. And what they tell you in high school sex ed is absolutely true. It only takes one time. And so I didn't even find out I was pregnant for like two months because even though I knew a hole in one was like technically possible, like I didn't believe in my heart that it could happen that way. And I was also, like, really distracted around this time because my dad's condition was deteriorating unbelievably rapidly. The chemo was just making him sicker, and they just took him off it, actually, right around the time I found out I was pregnant. And, in fact, the day that I told him about the pregnancy turned out to be the last day he had any lucidity, and a few days later, he died. And as word got out to people about the fact that I was also pregnant, I think a lot of people were very, like, touched by the timing. You know, the idea that this one life was ending, a new one was just beginning. You know, it's very, like, circle of lifey, very poignant to a lot of people. Um, but to me, the timing was like a slap in my dead dad's face. Like, oh, oh, did you want grandchildren? Oh, you were so close. Oh, you oh, just missed it. Oh. Uh, I, like, couldn't really, like, get over the unfairness of the whole thing, but um, I went through the motions of the pregnancy, and time went on, and the predictable thing happened, and my baby got really fucking cute, and I started to love him, and even though I was still really sad that, my dad didn't live long enough to meet him, and I'll probably always be very sad about that. Um, I don't regret the moment of his conception. In fact, by the time my son turned three, my husband and I were like, this kid is so fucking awesome. Let's have another one. And this time we can do it without the whole cancer specter of death thing hanging over us. So we start trying. Um, as an aside, I love the way the word trying gives you like blanket permission to talk about fucking in like whatever context <laughs> you want to. Like you would never say to your, your boss, like, yeah, my husband and I have been rigorously fucking on a set schedule we prepared for ourselves. But saying trying is basically the same thing, and that's okay. Anyways. We're trying and trying, and months go by, nothing happens, and you know we're keeping a fertility calendar and tracking my periods, and try as we might, nothing. And then, this past May, on Mother's Day, My husband and I find out that he has advanced kidney cancer. What the fuck? <sighs> um, they want to start him on treatment right away, and the standard drug for stage four kidney cancer is a biologic agent that 
Unlike traditional chemotherapy, it actually has very few side effects. One of them is that it turns your hair completely white for some reason that they don't understand. And the other is that it ruins your sperm. So the hospital offers us sperm banking. And even though it feels like our future has just been torn up into little pieces right in front of our faces, we figure we'll just, like, we'll bank the sperm in that way. You know, if we're in a position to use it later, like, it's there. And so... Two days after finding out that he has metastatic kidney cancer, my husband goes off to the sperm bank and literally at the very moment that he is in his appointment making his deposit, (laughs) I get a call from my OBGYN's office to tell me that I'm already pregnant. I had been in the previous week for a routine annual pap smear, and I had said to the nurse, like, I technically could be pregnant because we tried the last cycle, and does that matter for the pap smear? And she was like, no, but I can give you a blood test that would detect an early pregnancy. And at the time... You know, I didn't think that was likely because we had been trying for so long with no results, and I wasn't even late on my period at that point. But then when she called me to confirm the pregnancy, I was like, of course I'm pregnant, of course, because that is how my fertility works. Uh, My cervix will apparently only engage in the presence of a horrible cancer of a loved one somewhere in the vicinity. That makes perfect sense. Um, (laughs) As if to underline the insanity of the situation, just a few hours later, my husband gets a call from the reproductive endocrinologist at the sperm bank, who didn't know about the pregnancy, but called to tell him that his sample was good, not to worry. He had an excellent sperm, uh, sperm count. And, of course, we were like, yeah, 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 we know, no shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the sperm, like, we are, our window of possible natural conception was closing and and that sperm did a like Bruce Willis log roll under the garage door at the last possible second kind of move so thanks for the information but we're two steps ahead of you I'm having another boy and uh, he's due in a couple of weeks and all things considered we're doing well Uh, We're living our lives. My husband's hair has turned completely white, but, you know, it makes him look kind of like Billy Idol, which definitely does something for me. (laughs) And, you know, we have this baby that we can be excited about, and, you know, I'm really glad that my kids, whatever, whatever, you know, his life is bananas. Life is bananas. It's beautiful, but it's also bananas. Um, And so I'm glad that whatever turns it takes, my kids will always have each other. And possibly the gene for 
magical super sperm that has a fucked up sense of timing. Thank you. Thank you, Emma. Narrators is produced by Robert Rutherford, Mary Robertson, Aaron Rollman, and me, Ron Doyle. Our intern is Sydney Crane. Our theme music is by Whalehawk. And our founder and executive producer is Andrew Orbital. A very special thanks to our amazing sponsors, Legal Pete's, Greater Than Records, Sexy Pizza, Sexbot Comedy, From the Hip Photo, and Breckenridge Brewery. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And join us at one of our live monthly shows, which take place every second Tuesday of the month at Tiger Tiger Tavern in San Diego, California, and every third Wednesday of the month at Bumport Theater in Denver, Colorado. Both shows start at 8 p.m. and are always free to attend. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter. And for past episodes, photos from our live shows, and a list of our upcoming events and themes, please visit thenarrators.org. Thanks for listening.